everybody. Welcome to a bonus episode of Save Your Sorry. I'm your host, Katrina Rochelle, joined by my co-host and best friend, Jose Angel. How are you today? I am doing great. We're finally doing this. Our, our January book club pick. I know, right? And it hasn't been two weeks in February. <laughs> we're getting it right on the cusp. Today, we're talking about Viola Davis's book, Finding Me, and a very timely book because she just won a Grammy for it, making her an EGOT. As she so well deserves. Yeah, I I agree. I think she very well deserves it. I think she even deserved it for this book because the narration just put another layer onto this book. Yes, I will not lie. Like books narrated by like if it's a memoir and it's not narrated by them, that's okay. But it is very special when it's narrated by the person it is about. And you can definitely hear Viola like tell the story. And even I don't know, I might imagine it, but I definitely heard some emotion in her voice sometimes, too. So she's she's not only reading her book, but she's like telling her story again through the way that she talks. It was it was great. Oh yeah, definitely that voice acting paying off because yeah, I I felt like it added so much more to the book that even normally, you know, I read the book and I listen to it. When I have time, I would be reading at work and I'd just come home and like re-listen to it because I wanted to like hear her say it. Oh no, I was not joking when I said the last episode, I wanted Viola to read to me because (laughs) I was going to start buying all our book club episodes on Kindle because I did download that and I had that ready. But when I when you said that she narrated it straight on Audible. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, no, no regrets. So it does sound like you did enjoy the book, which I did, too. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly enough, I did not hear a lot about, about this book like I do with a lot of other books that you pretty much know everything before the book is even released, like with all the blurbs and articles that come out about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like a book tour type of thing. Yeah. Like Prince Harry's book, just because it's the hot book right now. Oh like yes. I've, I've heard so much out of that book and it's like, uh, do I want to read it now? Just, just because like it's kind of giving it all away. And I, I don't know if I missed it or what, but I didn't see that for Viola's book. Oh, definitely not. I don't think it was uh, done the same way. No. I think she um, also knew that this was more about telling her. St- I mean, of course, she probably wanted to sell books, but this was more about telling her story and that people were so invested in her that it would sell on its own merit, which I definitely think it did. Yeah. I Yeah. So the book starts off with eight-year-old Vi- Viola Davis in the third grade, and she is one of the very few black kids in her class. The other being a black boy who was Cape Viridian, so he identified as Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And the dad is, the little boy was the ringleader of eight or nine other little boys who would chase little Viola down the street from the school all the way to her house throwing whatever they could find at her, calling her ugly and stupid and the N-word. Little bastards. Yeah. (laughs) If they weren't chasing her, they would be hiding behind somewhere in the neighborhood waiting for her. Mm -hmm. It's like, God damn. It's not enough to just chase the girl. Now, if she outruns you, you have to hide so you can throw shit at her and terrorize her. Yeah, and to the boys, it seems like it's all good fun, fueled by, you know, hatred taught to them by their parents. Mm -hmm. It's like all good fun because 
uh, she is somebody less than them. She doesn't yeah. matter. We're just having fun. So it's not like it's hurting her. We're playing. But yeah, they don't even think about her. They find it funny that she's yelling, crying, trying to get away from them. And Crazy. they're hitting her. Yes. And pretty much chase the black girl and attack her with just one big game to them. Until one day they caught Viola and she calls out the little boy who is Cape Viridian. And she pretty much tells him, you're black. Why are you doing this? You, you know, you're black like me. Why are you attacking me? Yeah. And he just had this look of disgust on his face and punches her in the arm and pushes her down in the snow and just tells her, hey, I'm Portuguese. I'm not black. Don't mm. ever call me fucking black. And it was kind of like this glass shattering moment of the boys had their fun and Viola's, you know, wet from the snow and humiliated, but also, oh, this boy is black also. Like, he's Portuguese, but he's also black. Mm-hmm. It's like, he knows what she's saying is right, but he has to hold on to the belief of him being different than her so that he can justify, um, and that sounds so crazy for them just being like eight to 10 year olds, but he can justify hurting her and treating her the way that she is treated because better her than me. Yeah, it's, and she just, she made sure to say that he is the ringleader. She doesn't give any names about the children. She says it's not important. Um, the ringleader but, of a bunch of white boys. Yeah, the ringleader of a bunch of white boys attacking a black girl. Like the absurdity of it, of they're attacking her because of her skin color because she's dark skinned and she's black. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like, He's a black boy too, but he's Portuguese. He can identify as something different, label himself something different, and it's mm-hmm. okay. and not be seen as as the same thing. Yeah. Um, before we move on, how did you like this opening? Cop sucker, motherfucker. That okay. First of all, <laughs> hold on. It, I'm gonna read you the whole line. Okay, read it. <laughs> I want to hear you. <laughs> Cocksucker motherfucker was my favorite expression. And at eight years old, I used it defiantly. I just love that. I was very surprised. I was like, first of all, Viola, um, watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, surprised that she was using language like that so young. But then when you kind of get the lay of the land of her home life, it's like, oh, of course. But um, also it reminded me of... Uh, <laughs> It was so funny. Drag Race, like season five, they did like this play of RuPaul's life. And basically RuPaul said something of the same way that her mother's favorite phrase was something like that too. <laughs> and I was like, God damn, did they grow up in the same vicinity, RuPaul and Viola? <laughs> That's funny that you can find that connection. Um, I, I didn't find it surprising she's saying that at such a young age. She is like... At that time, the youngest of the bunch. And I just know growing up with older siblings, like you just learn that stuff pretty early. Yeah, I will not. I I, I will not. I'm not going to lie. The first time I heard my youngest sister curse, I was like, God damn. <laughs> Watch your mouth. <laughs> who, who taught you that? <laughs> who taught you that shit? You, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always a sucker for the first line in every book. So I, I really like that first line. It draws you in. It sets the tone. And I feel like this one hit the mark on the head. It's already kind of like an action scene. But really, it's an emotional scene. Because your heart lunges out for this young Viola 
of running away from all these kids attacking her. Mm-hmm. Also, a little side note tangent discussion. Thinking back to my childhood, I don't even know how to describe it, but my first time I ever felt treated differently because of my race when I was in school, it was by other classmates. Like That's like the first time I ever felt like a racial thing. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know if it was the same for my siblings. Maybe they got it earlier since, you know, they're more typical Mexican looking, you know, brown skin and stuff. Mm-hmm. You're a little paler. <laughs> yeah, but for me, I have very white passing skin. And I didn't go by Jose when I was younger. So people can't really just look at me and know I'm Mexican. Mm-hmm. But I do recall around third grade, it definitely became more of a prominent thing uh, where I realized, oh, there's something different. Hmm, interesting. I, I, I don't know if I can I can say that. <laughs> uh, say when. Because the honest to God truth is that I was heavily bullied um, uh-huh. in elementary school. Uh, what, kindergarten to what? what's elementary school? Uh, yes heavily bullied during that time so um i was bullied for being poor uh not having the best outfits shoes not having the nicest hair all types of stuff by black people by white people i was made to feel different maybe you're gonna talk no i I don't even want to mention that that's kind of still triggering now (laughs) but uh, i was made to feel different by teachers but um, I don't know when I noticed the racial differences. I do know that they definitely happen, but um, the bullying for me is where I mostly empathized with uh, Viola. Um, the N-word and the racist stuff came from me too, but uh, I feel like much later. Yeah, I, I was just trying to think, like, just as a talking point, I think I wonder if most people, their first experience with racism would be at school. I feel like, yeah, most people, yes. Unless, yeah, most people. I feel like, of course, there's always other people who've had it in different times and family and this and that. But, yeah, if you've mostly been in a community around people who are like you or people who love you or people who, you know, share the same values, cultural um, traditions and stuff, you'll be fine. But once you go out of that, which is usually school is when you – Get to see the other side. Back to the book, Viola's mom, my mama, or May Alice, the next day realizes something is up with Viola and she finds out about the little boys harassing Viola. And her solution is to give Viola a crochet hook and tells her to walk, not run from school. And if one of those boys tries something to stab them with it. Crochet hooks aren't sharp, so it's not like that serious. Viola also says that her mom told her she doesn't want her to come home crying or show whoop her ass. <laughs> And that's definitely something that you've heard if you've grown up in a black family. <laughs> and if you Viola come home goes, cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> and Viola goes to school, but this time when the boys expect her to run, she doesn't. And when they approach her, she tells them, don't touch me or I will stab you. And it works. Just that little scene of poor Viola having to stand up for herself. Like, no one was there. The teacher didn't stand up for her. Mm-hmm. Her mom was too busy with all her other kids and work and stuff. At eight years old, she's having to handle these boys by herself, which it's it's a cute little story, but it's also very heartbreaking. Shit, it's a sad-ass story. I didn't think it was cute at all. 
<laughs> I think it's cute how Violet tells it, like you know how she overcomes oh, the way it. she describes it uh -huh. and, and says what she basically she she put the she put the smack down, laid down the law, and all that. I get that. Yeah, which is another element to this book that I don't know if it was Viola specifically, her ghostwriter, the narration, or what, but. I felt like this book could have been very, very draining. And the just like the way she talks about her experiences and maybe throws a joke in here or there, it doesn't like leave you feeling drained. Or maybe it's just because I know how the story ends and like it has a happy ending. Mm, yeah, I definitely feel like, like what you said, this subject matter could be very draining, especially recounting all that and going through all that. Um, so I feel like she intentionally told the stories of which she knew the most about, but also could in inject a little levity when possible as to not totally bring the book down. But she does, she, she puts you in the trenches. She does not leave anything to the imagination, but she also, like you said, makes sure to breathe, uh, some air, leaves air. I mean, the book then goes back to May Alice, Viola's mom's early days. And she was born on a plantation's small shared cropper's home, the oldest of 18 children, only 11 mm -hmm. surviving. And going to school, May Alice was beat to where it broke skin and she bled. Her mom, Mazel, and aunt went to talk to the teacher, but the way Viola puts it, the teacher didn't like May Alice because she was dark-skinned and from the country. Uh, didn't smell pleasant. Mm -hmm. Sadly, when May Alice was around five or maybe even as young as three, she was watching her younger brother and sister and was playing with matches and she accidentally started a fire. She was able to save her brother, but not her younger sister in the back room who died from smoke inhalation. That was so sad. Just a baby. And she yeah, described and how much like her mother cared for her little sister at that time and how she, she desperately wanted to save her and she just couldn't. Yeah. May Alice's parents beat her for the death of her sister. And May Alice had arm pains ever since that day. And that's kind of crazy to think about if she was, you know, only three years old and she got beat for her sister dying. Like, how can a three-year-old watch a baby? Mm-hmm. Three years old. And also, like, just saying the word beat doesn't fully describe how she could have been beaten. Did she have broken bones? Is that why she has such residual pain and it just never healed right? Like, did they do, like, terrible damage to this little girl, but because she was so small, it wasn't recognized, and then it just stayed that way? Yeah. And at 15, May Alice leaves school and runs off with Dan Viola's father. Dan had run away from his abusive stepfather and became a horse groomer. And not much is known about Dan's early life, just that he ran off from his stepfather. As the years went by, they had five children, including Viola. A sits later, but that was when Viola was already 12. Dan drank a lot and had open affairs. Viola talks about him having one mistress who would open her apartment door naked, and Viola would have to wait downstairs. Nasty. I don't know why that woman would open the door naked when she knew little Viola would be there. It was all net. I th this is one of the parts that I could. I was like, I wish I could go back in time and kick these people's ass. 
<laughs> you, you nasty bitch. You already yeah, I, know that you messing with this married man, and the married man's gonna bring his daughter, and you can't even have an affair quietly. Like, go upstairs. You you answering it butterball naked? It, it, yeah, that part did not make sense to me. Mm-mm. She um, said Dan- nothing. This man, she, this woman had nothing on. <laughs> <laughs> Dan was also very abusive towards May Alice. Viler tells the story of when she was 14. She finally had to stand up against her dad, and he takes a glass. And he was about to smash it on her mom's head, which he does still end up smashing the glass on her mom's head. But she was able to get the glass away from him. Mm-hmm. Not to say Dan had no redeeming qualities. She says he was a wonderful storyteller. But he was just plagued with his personal demons and alcoholism. Yeah. Her father, it's I I will say that the the things she described about her father are 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 some hard things to hear and know about your father, as well as to kind of accept and forgive for. So I commend Viola and her whole family for. Uh, what they tried to do uh, as a family as time moved on because, yeah, the abuse that she described that happened to her mother as well as them is stuff that sounds like unforgivable. Yeah, like (laughs) horrific things of being bruised and bloody and Mm -hmm. just, yeah, just he seems to like be attacking for no reason at some points. Yeah. Like a few times, uh, Viola describes her, 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 her daughter. I mean, her daughters, her, her sisters, all saying, "You know, Dad's gonna kill Mom." Multiple times in the book, crazy. Yeah, or worrying that her mom's about to die from her dad. Viola talks more about her childhood, and they were really poor, having to borrow a lot of money from the local store, having a toilet that didn't flush properly, no heat, sometimes no electricity, and so many rats Viola didn't even go to the kitchen. She was so scared of them. And at this time, young Viola is about six, but she says all her siblings are bedwetters like her. And with no hot water, the pipes freeze, and they don't have running water. They can't afford the laundromat. Mm -hmm. So they all smell smell bad. Yeah. And they said even when they tried to wash the clothes themselves, they don't dry it was a problem so that they're they're still sometimes in wet clothes and they're still they still smell unfortunately even if they tried to wash up because sometimes they didn't have soap yeah and the wet clothes because there's no heat in the apartment Mm -hmm. and the house or apartment whatever it was is constantly catching fire like whatever can be wrong about this place is wrong she tells a story about being at school and sitting there and realizing her house is on fire because she can see it, like the smoke. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, how can this house get anywhere? It's like the she literally says the rats are all everywhere. They're in, in the kitchen and the cabinets and so they, much so that she, she's afraid of them. Yeah. Afraid to go into rooms. They said, she said go into the bathroom at night was not an option. No, that's another thing. That's another reason they were bedwetters was because of the rats for one. Or for two, it was the dad and mom fighting. Mm-hmm. When Viola was five, her older sister, Diane, who is nine, came back to live with them. The oldest would sometimes live with the grandparents, Diane and 
John. Diane asks her, do you want to live like this your whole life? And Viola already knows she does not want to live like this. And she says, Diane's words of encouragement are what planted those seeds in her head of, you need to get out, you need to become better, you need to become someone. If, you know, if, if you do not get rich, get money, get out of this, you're going to be living like this your whole life. And also seeing Cicely Tyson on TV gives Viola this idea of becoming the star of this person to look up to. Around eight years old, Viola tells about her and her sister joining like a talent show and doing skits for it and preparing for it using what they could of their parents' clothes or used clothes. And she has a whole chapter called Sisterhood, and it does seem like her and her sisters were a unit and did everything together. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of not too far apart, like a... A year to a few years separated all of them until you get to the last one. Yeah. So, yeah. And then they, they're in this, like, this uh, basically battlefield of a house. So they feel like if we want to get fed, if we want to have any sort of peace, if we want to uh, succeed, we got to stick together as best as we can. Yeah, it, it is that kind of thing of trauma is bringing them closer together and that's all they have is each other. Yeah. Really, honestly, because even the outside outside sources that tried to help didn't really make too much of a difference until they were like teenagers almost out of the house. Uh-huh. And Viola also talks about some things going on outside the house where there was inappropriateness, saying stuff like older men going up to her asking for a kiss for a quarter. Yeah. And she's a kid thinking, oh, it's just a kiss. But then the men just like looking at her like they want more. Or she says being at a party and a boy like chasing the girls around and lifting up their skirts and touching them inappropriately. And she says the boys are seen as boys just being boys and the men are just seen like nasty old men. Like, mm-hmm. But, but the girls- everybody still allows everything to happen. Yeah, and the girls get that reputation of being fast when they're not really doing anything. They're just being sexually assaulted. Yeah. And are are you going to talk about the brother, too? Yeah. Viola also discloses that her own brother crossed the line from curiosity to abuse. With almost all her sisters. Yeah, she said it was all of her sisters, and some of them even included penetration. Yeah. Which that, she that does... That threw me totally... I I did not expect that one. I didn't either. She says very early in the book that John was very, like, he he was never around. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that had anything to do with that, why he wasn't around. Um, But we don't really hear about him much, John. We hear, like, most of the sisters. But John, we just hear, like, later on in life, he becomes an addict and loses custody of his kids. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is like, let me, me, okay, let me explain this. When you first hear the book, she reads uh, her acknowledgments, you know, all that other stuff, her dedications, and she includes her whole entire family. So even though I knew that this was going to be like one of those hard knock life type of childhoods, since she included all her family, I was thinking, oh, they have to all be on good terms. And that's not to say that they aren't. So when it got to that part about her brother and what he did, 
I was just like, and this is fucking crazy to me. And this might just be my psyche. I was like, the stuff with the father is, is kind of unforgivable, but people could forgive for that type of thing. I have a different type of thought process and I'm able to kind of hold on to grudges longer. So that's different for me. But the brother stuff is absolutely unforgivable to me. Like, not at all. So I figured then when I got to the end of the book, like you said, he's only in, uh, mentioned like one, two more times that maybe she's kind of forgiven him, but he's not in her life at all. Yeah, I I mean, I... If he's still alive. So, yeah, I, I was really surprised because she kind of, which not to jump too ahead, but once the father gets sick, she does like kind of come around and he kind of has like a redemption arc in the book a little bit where he's no longer violent and he's like more around his grandkids and mm -hmm. trying to be loving towards the mother and i was kind of expecting that with the brother as well and it never came which most likely means it never happened <laughs> it never happened yeah it's her life yeah. it's never happened yeah I, the brother thing was very i don't want to say scandalous but like it, it caught me very off guard. I was surprised that it was like, you know, one, like I said earlier, one of those things that didn't like leak out of the book and people were talking about. Mm -hmm. And to my knowledge, before the book, um, even though I, I would say I'm a, I'm a fan of Viola Davis, I don't watch every single interview she does like I do some other celebrities. So to my knowledge, this was not something that she readily mentioned to me. Yeah. She could have, and I missed it. But yeah, this one definitely, yeah, it was just fucked up. She's getting it from these creepy-ass old men who are um, trying to give affection under the guise of just trying to um, be friendly, and they're friends of the family, and they're okay. And then you're also dealing with this, I, I hate to say it, but kind of like wolf in sheep's clothing at home, and that's your brother. It, exactly, yeah. And... I, she didn't really say like an exact time frame, so I don't know how old he was when it was happening. And you don't know when it's how started. long exactly. Yeah, but I think the big theme that lies within these pages is poverty. The book mm -hmm. is a book about poverty, and I think Viola is pulling back the curtain on what true poverty looks like and how these can be contributing factors everything and, she dealt with yeah everything she dealt with is because of poverty and somewhat there's two there's some themes in her book poverty being a black woman maybe the violence you know it's all there and but i think the huge underlying issue is the poverty from here she gets into an acting program or she gets into acting programs going older she has one where all that topping her is like a VHS tape and fifteen dollars. Mm -hmm. And the school counselor helps her get those. The rest of the book is just her rise up. So she oh, did go. Oh, go ahead. I just want to talk about that moment real quick, which is I think something that so many people do with, especially someone maybe called me. Um, cause like you said, she was, uh, trying to do this, like, uh, audition thing and she, all she needed was $15 VHS tape and all that other stuff. And counselor says, I'll get that for you. 
And she's like, I, but I need this. And he's like, I'll get that for you. I'll do that for you. And then he was like, you're, you're out of excuses. You, so what are you going to do? And that's kind of the thing. It's like these, they, those were real obstacles for her. She did not have any money, but she did have people she could reach out to. And sometimes we forget that. And so we build these um, obstacles far bigger in our head that could be um, doable. And we just make them insurmountable when they're just, they're molehills. And uh, once you get past it, it's like, okay, were you uh, really stopped by those obstacles or were you trying to make excuses to not do the stuff that you're afraid to fail at? Yeah, I 100% agree with what you're saying. I also think that boils down to she knows she's poor she knows she doesn't have these opportunities so once she sees that obstacle she's like oh yeah i i kind of knew that was going to happen mm -hmm. so and, like, mm -hmm. why, why even go for it exactly this is not something i could ever do anyway not for me yeah the rest of the book is yeah the rest of the book is just her rise up so she did go to juilliard juilliard huh juilliard <laughs> And Viola is in a couple of relationships. The first one ends with him pretty much raping her. Mm -hmm. And right at the time, she didn't realize that's what happened. She now realizes it. She says he kept trying to pull her pants down, and she's saying no and pulling her pants up, and then just gives in. I found it interesting, even how she wrote it about it. She still, and like how she wrote it, I feel like she still kind of blames herself. And she she's, never said it was like exactly rape yeah she says that while she was trying to get to the top she left some of the old her behind the fighter the one of her with claws mm -hmm. so i just found that very interesting that she put that little sentence in there because it's like she's still blaming herself that she didn't fight back yeah so she just let it happen which most like even if she did fight back. It would just escalated things, I feel like. The second relationship Viola is in is to another actor, and she is with him for seven years, I think it said. Yes, seven years. And they yeah. are not in love. No, she does not feel loved by him or never demanded anything from him. And it's kind of intentional on her part because she doesn't know what to look for in a relationship. She doesn't... Um, think to ask for these things in a relationship and it's just like he's there that's that's all i could ask for type of thing mm -hmm. she does end up getting pregnant by him and she does choose to have an abortion viola makes this decision because she doesn't want to turn out like her parents who had kids young at this point she is in her 20s but it would it would just get in the way of her life yeah and she said the big clots of blood were a constant reminder that I terminated a life. And I absolutely, without question, knew it was a life. Which I traded for my own life. Try dealing with the weight of that shit. I which feel like just, that was... Oh, you talk first. I, I think when people think of abortion, they think, you know, it's... Monster woman trying to, like, you know, just not have a baby or something like that. That's what the demonized picture of it is. Yeah. But I think she had, she to her, it was a life already, but she had to make that sacrifice because she was not going to get anywhere with the kid. Like, it was going to make her, the, the challenge way more harder for her. Yeah, I think she's saying a lot with not saying everything, which is the fact that 
She was not in a loving relationship. She wasn't even able to love herself. She was not in a financially stable uh, place and nothing was going to help her prepare for this baby. She even mentioned that it was uh, David, the, the seven-year relationship with the other actor. He wasn't happy with the decision for her to uh, get an abortion, but she mentions he was barely around there and he only came for one day to comfort her after the abortion and he left. And she was just like, this is how you would be if I had the child. It was there was there was no support and she probably wasn't going to be the type of mother that she wanted to be eventually. I think it's a hard choice, but sometimes it's the better choice that some women have to make. Like people are like, oh, have that baby. You're killing a life. But what's a tortured life? Some of these people cannot provide. Some of these people should not have children. And it's like you're just forcing them because of, of a religious aspect because you feel it's right, but this is not your life. Yeah, and I think it was very interesting for Viola to make that call because she, you know, she talks about being involved in the church. She talks about how she felt that she did take a life. Mm -hmm. So somewhere in her mind, she is fighting the issue of it's morally wrong. I did take a life. But like you were saying, she knows how raising a child can be in poverty and she's not going to do that. She's, you know, she's working so hard to get out of poverty and mm -hmm. it's her choice. Yeah. Her, her doctor's choice. She must've felt that it might be morally wrong, but she kind of felt like it would be more morally wrong to bring somebody in here who she couldn't give herself completely to. Uh-huh. So the roles start coming in slowly. She talks about, being too dark for roles or her hair was not what they wanted or her features are too black. And mm -hmm. I mean, she's a black woman, but that's she's, not the casting agents we're looking for. Mm -hmm. She's a darker skinned black woman with a deep voice. Yeah. And she kind of talks about how there needs to be a trade-off. If you're darker skinned, you have to have wider features. And she, she doesn't have that. And even though she is making money, she's still kind of broke. She's helping her mom and dad and her dad still beats up her mom from time to time. But mm -hmm. towards the end of life, he did stop. Her parents have some of their grandkids in their custody and some of their kids still live with them. I think it said at a time it was up to 14 people in the house. Mm -hmm. And they were including transients. They said there were friends of people walking in and out, uh, staying with them. You know, s some of the family are addicts. Some of the visitors are addicts. Uh -huh. There was a lot going on in that that apartment I think they still described it as. And the siblings are having issues, addiction problems. She never specifically said which siblings, but some of them are. Yeah, she mentioned Danielle at one point, but she did say that, yeah, a couple of her sisters were in and out of that type of thing. And, and her brother as well. So yeah, I do remember her mentioning Danielle at one point. Because the yeah. whole thing with the boyfriend. But yeah, she did say there was a couple other siblings. And this is where Viola's life might be getting better. But the poverty, the violence, the addiction, it keeps trying to drag her back in. Mm -hmm. And she kind of realizes that that she can't. She can help them to a point. 
because it I think it was her gas bill that she couldn't even afford her gas bill because she like gave them all her money. Yep, she said at one point when she was getting more roles and her money started to change, so did the money requests from her family. You know, they she said it can it uh, went from like twenty, thirty dollars to then asking for a hundred to asking for some furniture, some food, you know, all that type of stuff. It increased. Yeah, and it's just crazy to think about there to pay maybe not all 14 people in that house, but you're paying for some families because I imagine she's paying for her parents and then the kids that are staying with her and some of her siblings stuff. It's just oh, yeah. draining her. So she gets more jobs, jobs leave, jobs come. She ends up getting doubt and that kind of puts her on the map. What I think really helps her was the help. And I like that Viola talks about the help and the criticism that some people have said against it and that she has said herself, which is it's very white savior, saviory. Yes, yeah. I enjoyed this part of the book as well, too. Her kind of going through her getting the the bit parts, the the stage plays, and all that other stuff to getting some of the TV shows and all that. Like I, I enjoyed that going through like her. It was her memory lane, but it was like me rewatching the things as she was talking about it. And yeah, I I, I thought it was important to mention that she's like the criticism. Hmm, how does she describe it, or how am I thinking to say it? Like basically kind of saying that the criticism was warranted about the help, but that had nothing to do with the filming experience and the people that she worked with. They were still all good people. They were still well-intentioned and they still had a good time trying to make the best movie as possible. But she understands the criticism and why it came later. Yeah, I think she said it very much so with tact. Because, you know, if she would have just said... The Help is not the type of movie I would want to remake or say something like that. Mm -hmm. People are going to put so much shady stuff in that and just be like, Viola, Viola Davis regrets working with Octavia Spencer or something. You know how people are. Yeah, they instead of uh, instead of calling her the Black Meryl Streep, which we've all collectively stopped trying to say, they start calling her the Black Catherine Heigl. <laughs> <laughs> how you gonna trash your own movie? <laughs> I love that. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I mean, I understand the criticism of the help as well. I still watch it every once in a while. It's still a good movie. I will say I, that. Yeah, I think you can admit it's a good movie with admitting that it also has its faults. Exactly. But I and Viola acted her ass off. I fucking and cried that's in that last acting scene. Acting is so good in the movie. That last scene, bitch. I was that white baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, Viola's father does die from cancer. While he was living in the house, his morphine gets stolen. And 14 people living in the house. And like you said, there's people coming in and out um, that just addicts. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know who stole his morphine. But he is finally moved into hospice, which her family kind of debates on. But he does die there within 30 minutes. Of arriving there, like uh -huh. he he stuck out so much of his unfortunate. Like he he got past one big health problem, and then it was directly into the cancer, and he's just declining fast. But 
as he's declining, he still wants to be home. He still wants to be surrounded by his wife and his children and his grandchildren. So he's sticking it out in, in, in excruciating pain. And they said on a day bed in a kitchen. So he's enduring this pain so he can be by his family. They still want him to go to hospice. He says no. And it's just so kind of very sad, but fitting that the man passes on basically as he's going to hospice saying goodbye to his family like he he was ready to go because he was finally out of his comfort zone and he it, it was time yeah and the nurse was telling the family you gotta tell him it's time to go mm -hmm. his wife couldn't do it but i think viola said she did it yeah she said she couldn't do it so that's when the afterwards the nurse brings her to to her husband um, Viola marries a man named Julius. She, he's kind of throughout the book. I just mentioned him now. We love Julius! <laughs> and they are still married and have an adopted daughter together. How to get away with murder is what makes Viola start to feel desirable. She said when she first got it and they were calling for, you know, the casting was calling people out. She got calls from people that she knew thinking that she would it be a good fit or no she heard murmurs of people saying that she would be a good fit yeah she said she called one of her actor friends who was working at a stage play with a whole bunch of other black actors and the backstage the other people had shit to say about her like not like able sexy to... not viola yeah that's crazy because basically how to get away with murder was like her first lead role after the help because she said after the help she still wasn't getting booked in lead roles mm -hmm. and then here comes shonda rise bitch <laughs> but it was the role of how to get away with murder that kind of felt made her feel more desirable and Why she said, a <laughs> 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 i was about to say the fucking line wrong you gotta say it why is your penis on dead girl's phone bam <laughs> and it was signed sealed delivered uh-huh and I I really, I did like that she kind of went down that trip, like you said, memory lane of her roles, at least her bitter roles, because that's what people are looking for. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy. I watched Viola's big roles first, and then I started to dive into her smaller roles. But I will tell this is also a tangent. There was one role I did not know Viola Davis played in for so, so long until I saw it on her IM, uh, IMBD page, Life's Not a Fairy Tale, which is the Fantasia Barino story. As you know, I was obsessed with Fantasia, especially when she won. And when that Lifetime movie came out, I watched the hell out of it. Um, and I, you know, I know Fantasia. I knew the dude who played her baby daddy, but I didn't know nobody else. And then I find out Viola Davis played her mama. Oh, uh, Viola is like, I probably started recognizing her around doubt, the help type of era. Mm -hmm. But it was like after that, you know, seeing her in Law and Order and being like, damn, that's Viola Davis. And, you know, yes. seeing her pop up here and there. I watched Antoine Fisher during the pandemic. I didn't even know she was in that. <laughs> that was crazy. That was a great movie, too. Did she have a big role? No, like it, she talks uh, about it in the book. Very small role. She plays <laughs> plot twist, not really, uh, or spoiler. Uh, she plays Antoine Fisher's mom 
and she's only in like a couple one to two scenes and i was just like dang i didn't even know that until i saw her in there but yeah i did enjoy that part too something i do love about viola davis though she doesn't have you seen the suicide squad either one i've seen a scene or two with her in it but i have not seen the movies okay I just feel like she never phones in uh, performance. She's always 100%. That Amanda Waller, I think that's her character. There's a scene in there where she's just yelling and tell him to press a button. It's like so powerful. It's like, girl, why are you giving DC like mm-hmm. acting chops? Like, you know, you could really phone that in. Or I'll give you another one she could have phoned in. Law-abiding citizen. She plays the mayor, I think. And it's like such a passive part. Like she could just be like, yeah, I'm not gonna let nobody intimidate my city. Get that bomb shit out of here. But I'm like, bitch, Viola Davis is the motherfucking mayor of the city. I really don't have anything else to add. I did leave a lot out of this book one. Cause people should actually listen slash read this book. That's kind of how I feel. I feel like some of it is repetitive. Um, because she's going but, back to themes of her childhood. Yeah, but trauma is repetitive. I don't know what to tell you. I was just about to say, exa- <laughs> you said it yourself. This is a book about poverty and how at multiple times in her life, she went back to that like lifestyle slash mindset. Yeah, I, I really liked, she said in the book very early on that it was on the set of Suicide Squad, the first one, Will Smith says viola davis who are you and she's like what do you mean who am i and he says something like i'll always be that 16 year old boy that his the girlfriend broke up with or something Mm -hmm. and she says she'll always be that eight-year-old girl hiding in a tree from the people and i just taking that into mind reading this whole book like the trauma that's always with her that stays with her this eight-year-old girl that thinks she's ugly, that thinks she's not worthy, that thinks she's poor, and that she's smelling all these bad things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like that's why it wasn't draining for me, and that's why it was kind of a come-up book. It was a feel-good book, even though it was filled with so much trauma, negativity, and horrors of poverty. I agree. It's, it's very much sad in places, but towards the middle and in very much hopeful and uplifting, especially when you see like the rise gradual to like a very fast rise that she went through and learning her ages as she did this. Like she didn't hit that huge big pinnacle of fame until her forties. It And she didn't learn how to truly accept herself um, and, and truly have peace with her childhood and her father and stuff for a long time. And it tells you right then, like, shit, you're 20, you're 30, you're going through all these things and and shit's just not always going to um, be as fast as you want it, get done the way you want and um, turn out the way you want. But if you work at it and you actually try to uh, better yourself or at least try to put the effort in to not go back into bad habits or to forge another path, you can be successful and you can learn to love yourself and not be so burdened by the things you went through, your experiences. They become lessons instead of burdens. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
And I, I always like these books better than self-help books because it is very self-helpy kind of vibes. Mm -hmm. But, but it's just, not so just, on the nose like I'm actually trying to do that for you. Yeah, she's just sharing her story. And the sad, the almost really sad, heartbreaking thing about it is Viola Davis's story is not, it's not original. It's not rare. It's something that people in the United States have to live, children in the United States have to live in day in and day out of this level of poverty she's talking about. And mm -hmm. you kind of, you can look at one way of, oh, she got out, she did great, good for her, anyone else can do it, but she's, just... She's, she's an exception. She's, yeah, she's not an the exception. Rule. She's a lucky one. She's someone who got out, but there was so much trying to pull her back in, and it's something that she worked with you know, she's mentioned therapy a lot of times, almost in every chapter, oh, yeah. I believe. And it's like, you know, it's something that she has worked with with a therapist, obviously. She just didn't <laughs> make money and, like, everything's healed. Yeah. Yeah. But would we read this again? I, this was a tough read in a lot of spots because, like I said, it did make me emotional. But whereas um, other books we've talked about where we could appreciate it but we didn't want to read this again I think just to kind of hone in on more details or I would skip around uh, but I would definitely reread this again yeah I obviously not right now but oh I yeah see time. myself in the time future yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh we're rereading this shit tomorrow <laughs> um would you recommend it oh 100% 15 out of 10 would recommend yeah, this, I would recommend it. I think even if you didn't grow up in poverty, re reading or listening to the story in full, you will find something you can identify with. It's so many different themes that she that that she had in her life that we've all had in our lives that um, will just hook you in and uh, invest you in the story, as well as just kind of just hearing her experiences in her pain and just kind of wanting to know Viola through her book. I think it's a great read. Is there anything in this book that you would change? Hmm, that I would change? Elaborate. What do you mean by that? Anything that you wish she would have included that she didn't include that she would have expanded on? Like, you know, I when wish. we read, when we read, um, I forget her name, Maritza's book. Mm-hmm. We said, oh, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Guerrero. Yeah. Um, we said it would have been better if like someone else written it. Or that was a big ass change. <laughs> <laughs> or like um jokes my father never taught me. We would have wished she would have dove deeper into a lot of aspects. Is yeah, there anything in really this book that you wish? Okay. Yes. Okay. When you when you frame it like that, the only thing I wish this would have included was just because this did become a hot button topic for just a second is what inspired her to do uh, the Michelle Obama film, um, and why and how did she, and how did she feel about it, and how did she feel after everybody else saw it. No. That's literally just like a 
<laughs> that's just a me personally want to know how she feels story. It's not important to her memoir at all. But uh -huh. yeah, I just want to know because Viola is still a great actress. I mean, people still love Viola Davis. They just want to give her shit because this was like the first role that people were uh, saying, oh, she may not have nailed this. But I honestly think that the masses didn't see it. So I think I, they didn't see it. They saw the trailers. They, saw the doing trailer face. <laughs> they just wanted to make fun of the face. Yes. Uh -huh. So I always wanted to uh, dive into that because I don't know if she's talked much about it since then. If she has, I might have to look it up. But that's the only thing. Everything else, I think she worked in perfectly. You could have maybe asked her to maybe delve more into like her movie roles, but that's if you want to talk about her movies, which I feel like you could watch an interview about that. Yeah. Um, something I would wish she would have kind of explored more is like she has these instances where she's talking to her mother as a grown up mm -hmm. and bringing stuff of the past. But we don't really get to see a lot of that. We don't get to... She tells her mom about being abused, but I don't think we get her mom's reaction about her brother abusing her. Oh, okay. I get you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot more of those discussions. It's, I guess it's just like meta that if... I don't know if it would become too repetitive, but something like that or just how her... I don't know. I think... It would have been nice to see, like, a perspective, like, even just a chapter from one of her sisters or discussing something with her sister, just kind of like a Q&A. Oh, yeah, I, I do kind of wish she kind of would have got more into the meat of how her, her, how her and her sister's relationship is now. But I kind of understand maybe since they're all still together maybe you don't want people to know too much more of your that is true your current personal history that is true um, yeah I, I feel the same i think this this is a great read and like you said you left a lot out so this is definitely one episode where you should listen to this you know to gauge how you might feel about a story like this but you to get to get the whole experience you should definitely read the book yeah, because I, I definitely left a lot out. Um, I just, I kind of hit, like, the most important bullet points, but oh, yeah, there's still, like, there's, like, health issues that I didn't even bring up that she has. And... Oh, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, one to five stars. <laughs> Are you really asking that? It's five. You think five? I would give this a five, not only because it pulled me in, um, it was a great read. It didn't read corny to me or like inauthentic. It was very sincere, genuine. I saw a piece of myself. I saw a piece of other family members into this. And this is something with time and some space I would definitely revisit. I'm going to get a, give it four. Hmm. With the narration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was a good book. Um... I've read better memoirs, but I, I think this one was amazing, too. Ooh, what's the better memoir? Name one. I just have to know so I can read it. Troublemaker by Leah Remini. I thought that one was oh, very I good. I have to read that. Never. Leah Remini, yeah. Hers oh. is amazing. If you're rating that, that's a five-star to you, right? That's five out of okay. five. And that's nothing that we would never cover that on the pod just because. <laughs> um, we might one day. I've been wanting to bring hers. It's a solo episode. Yeah. 
me and I won't be on this bitch. No. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But, you can do um, that on your own time. Find someone else to no, record that, that with. <laughs> if we ever do come to that, then I would hold off on reading it until then. But that, I, I do love me some Leah Remy. So. Yeah. Um, also, it's not a celebrity book, but um, I really love the book Educated. It is a memoir. Who's the mem- Who's the author? I don't know. Just some girl. Some woman. Okay, what is it called again? So I can... Educated. Educated. Let me just have it in my searches since it's just some girl. She lives like in the mountains. And... Kara Westover? That yes. Sound like her? Okay. That's her. When I got into it, um, I was reading all these memoirs about people who left like these religious cults and everything. And she's not really in a religious cult. She's like in a... Her family's religious, but it's not like a cult. But it was good. I'm not saying I don't trust people in the Mormon faith. I'm just saying, Jesus, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> just like the Catholics, just everybody's. And they organize religion, if we're being honest. That actually, yeah, forget the Mormons and the Catholics. All the people in religions who come out really super religious, it's like when a case comes out, I'd be like, I ain't surprised. Uh uh-uh, uh, you would know them by their fruit. I feel bad. That's why I'm scared of religion now. It's like I feel like every time you get too deep into it, something snaps in you. Jesus. <laughs> oh, by the way, looking at this uh, book cover of Educated, it's it looks like a pencil. Is it also supposed to resemble legs? Like, does it like addressing legs? Like, it's supposed um, to give off that type of d- deal. Like, you see two things. You're supposed to see two things, but. Not addressing legs. Do you want to keep looking at it? Oh shit! Hold on. I gotta enlarge it now. Uh, <laughs> now I feel like a dumbass. What is it? Will <laughs> we like on a mountaintop or some shit? Because uh-huh, she lives in the mountains. <laughs> that's embarrassing. But is addressing legs upside down? Because I kind of see it now. That's what I'm saying. Don't it look like addressing legs <laughs> yeah, upside, upside down? down? Okay. Well, Jose has confirmed it. I'm not totally dumb. Okay, I think that's all our episode on Viola Davis, the EGOT winner. She just won a Grammy for it. Yes, one of my favorite EGOT winners now that she is a part of the club. My second favorite. I'm guessing your first is Whippy? (laughs) (laughs) Whippy? (laughs) Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Okay. Um, But we have come to the end of our episode. With the end of our book club episodes, we do decide something. Oh, Lord. And it is your turn to choose. Okay. So I'm not going to lie. I very much waffled on who was I going to choose. Um, I'll tell you right now, one of the finalists was Will. But I feel like we've, well, not we, but everybody's been talking about Will Smith too much. So let's give him a break. And um, another actress was mentioned, but I felt like her hers was just a little too old. So oh, ageism. No, no. Like I felt like oh. the book, it, like it doesn't matter. But the point is that she, <laughs> I, I'll pick her later, but just not this month. So then I okay. went with a universal choice, a, a universal good choice, and that is the Mother of Black Hollywood by Jennifer Lewis. Oh, we have been mentioning this book for so long. That's why I felt like we just need to jump on it. Oh, we have to. 
And plus, we uh, both love and appreciate Jennifer Lewis and her contributions. So I felt like it's 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 a good book, and I feel like she has so much to say. So I can't wait to read slash hear it <laughs> because I'm, it is narrated by Jennifer Lewis. Jennifer Lewis. I can't say I'm like the biggest fan of her work, but anytime I see like she's in something, I'm like, oh my god. I will say the same. I don't think I've watched everything she's in or even like 75%, but I would say I've seen about half of everything she's been in and I've I've loved her in all of it. But I do love her clips, like interview clips. Oh yeah. Have, have you seen the one where she's talking about a tree and like the guy she's with is like what what's the big deal? It's a tree and she decided at that moment that 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 he had to go yes <laughs> that's my favorite clip i watched that for no reason that and uh her singing i don't want anybody fucking with me in these streets oh yeah that's that was a great series she did like three of those videos uh-huh. but that yeah true i thought this was a good, good choice pick. so i can't wait to talk about it this slash next month <laughs> yeah sometime it'll come out when it comes out exactly you know you get you'll get it from us Okay, thank you guys so much for listening. It's been wonderful. Bye-bye. See you, see you.